Today's scripture reading is Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 19, which I believe you are all currently looking at on page 2 of the Old Testament portion of your pew Bible. Before we hear the word of the Lord, let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence any voices but your own, so that we may hear your word and also do it. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You won't die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was, was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of, the both, of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you amongst all animals and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to the man he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. We have heard the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Adam and Eve, it's a very familiar story, and there are many details and themes that are important to think about. 
and some of those themes showed up in this week's reflection that was posted on our website, so I can't talk about them all here. But here we see that God has created Adam and Eve. They live in a garden called Eden, and they have the responsibility to care, to manage, to cultivate the garden in a way that life flourishes. So very similar to what God does, he creates, he fills, and then he tends and he cares for it. He fills it with life. So ultimately, these stories that we have to know, the reason that we have to know them is because they point us to Jesus. So every time we read the Old Testament, we should ask a few questions at least. One of them being, where do I see myself in this story? And where do I see Jesus? And how does this story prepare me to meet Jesus when he's revealed to us in the New Testament. So John 6, Jesus says to religious professionals, but Old Testament scholars, you search the scriptures, that means the Old Testament, because that was what Jesus, that's the only thing that was written at that time. You search, you diligently search the scriptures, thinking that by them you have eternal life, but it is the scriptures that bear testimony about me. So, and it's not just the messianic, like the prophecies about the Messiah. It's many, many passages of scripture show Jesus. Sometimes a shadow and sometimes it becomes clear. So Paul picks up this theme or one of the themes in this passage in Romans chapter 5. He calls Adam the first Adam and Jesus the second Adam. And he says this, that by the disobedience of the first Adam, death has come to all. But through Jesus Christ, the second Adam, all have eternal life. Do you see that? That's beautiful. You read 1 Corinthians 15, and it's the same thought, or a very similar thought. Adam, in the perfect pleasure of the garden, does not listen to God. On the other hand, Jesus, in the dark horror of the Garden of Gethsemane, where he is overwhelmed with mental and physical anguish, is obedient. Even after having all the pleasures taken from him. So what Adam could not do, Jesus did. Everything that Adam broke, Jesus is reconciling. Or for instance, the curse. When Adam and Eve eat the fruit, doesn't mention an apple. Apple get bad names, right? But there's no mention, it's just the fruit. Okay? It's probably, a, I don't know what it is. I have no joke for that. But they eat the fruit, for some reason, and they realize that they're naked. So they have a sense of shame, of being stripped bare, of being vulnerable, and realizing that the problem is actually inside of them. So they're confronted by God. And God says to Adam, because of your disobedience, Thorns will infest the ground. And this is going to make it incredibly difficult for you to eat from the field that you work. So thorns become a symbol of the curse. Then God says to Eve, childbirth is going to be very painful. And the women said, Amen. 
All right, that's true. Then, after the shame, after the thorns, after the painfulness of childbirth, there's also exile. They're removed from the garden. And all of these come as a consequence of the disobedience of the first Adam. But Jesus takes the curse upon himself. Like Adam and Eve, Jesus was in a garden. He obeyed God, though. So he's arrested by the soldiers. Then he's led away. Then he's beaten. And then what's put upon his head? Thorns. A crown of thorns. So then he's led to crucifixion. Inside or outside the city gate? Outside the city gate. Where Jesus himself is exiled. Where the people say, we will not live with you here. There is no room for you with us. And then he's stripped. He's stripped of his tunic and people gamble over his clothes. And so Jesus is laid bare. He's vulnerable in front of the public. So, we see in this passage that the one promised to Eve by God is the one who's going to defeat the serpent. And, incidentally, the very mother of Jesus, Mary, would bear a double curse. The pain of childbirth and then the curse of death that she saw on her son. And this is not to mention the similarity of Jesus being tempted 40 days in the wilderness, which is the opposite of the Garden of Eden. You're hungry. Turn the stones to bread. Eat it. God isn't going to provide for you. Look at where you are. It's all up to you, Jesus. Do it yourself. Oh, no? Okay, well, then jump off the ledge. God will help you, right? Doesn't he owe you protection? You're the Messiah, after all. Ah, look at all the kingdoms of the earth. They could be yours. I mean, I'm giving you something that God can't give you. So the devil in Scripture is a deceiver. He is a liar. But what the devil does with Jesus in his temptation and what the devil does with Adam and Eve is that he sows distrust. He kind of edits God's words so that the period ends up being a question mark. Why isn't God giving you all the kingdoms? Really? Why not that tree? Adam and Eve, do you... Do you think that you have enough? I mean, look outside the garden. Look how big the world is. Why is your garden so small? I wonder what God might be hiding from you. How do you know that God's trustworthy? And Jesus' response, of course, is to go with Scripture. He quotes Scripture. But I don't see Jesus using the quotation of Scripture as like a baseball bat, like beating away the temptations, as much as what Jesus finds in Scripture is that people are giving words to articulate his faith. No, I know that a man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
And I think that's the major benefit of a discussion group and Sunday morning and hearing the Word and reading it for yourself is because when you get in Scripture, you see you have other people articulate your frustrations, your fears, your hopes, your reasons for faith and trust. So trust and temptation are closely tied. Okay, so trust and temptation are closely tied. To the degree that we trust God for our identity and our sense of purpose and for our daily needs, the charms of world will not have very much appeal. But to the degree that we mistrust or distrust God, even in our natural insecurity, then that's when temptation is magnified. Or it's, yeah, of course I deserve this. They have it. Why don't I have it? Time's running out. So trust and temptation. But trust gets stronger when you practice it. So what I want to do right now is I want us to practice a little bit. Okay, so I, my two helpers, my two helpers. Okay, so you are going to receive, you're going to receive everyone in here an index card. We have large print bulletins. We have large print index cards. There you go. And I'll take care of the choir. And so this is what we're going to do with the... Uh, index cards. Thank you. We're in trouble if we have more than 200 people here this morning, okay? (laughs) So when you get the index card, I want you to think, and during communion, during communion, I want you to think about this a little bit more, but on one side, raise your hand if you need one. So on one side, I want you just to write down, and there's pencils in the pew in front of you. Something that matters to you, something that's consequential, but that you kind of sense that there's, like even though like you typically, like you might worry, but it's somehow easier for you to trust God in that area of your life. So just write that down on that, on the first page. So it's something that you trust God with. There's something meaningful in your life. But for some reason, it it just seems like it's very easy to trust God. It doesn't necessarily cause you to stay awake at night. But it means something to you. It could be a job, it could be the love of your family, or something else. This is where you see yourself trusting, trusting God. Okay, and then on the back side. We're not collecting these, by the way. This is yours. This is going to stay. So on the, on the back side of that card, I want you to list something that you find it's very difficult to trust God with. Something that's difficult. 
Something that's difficult that you find yourself like, man, for the past 15 years, this has been the, the one area of my life where I have difficulty trusting God with. It could be a relationship, job, school, a decision, something that's challenging. And then during this time, but also during the time of communion, just take a look at those two sides and think through why is one side different than the other? And is trusting in one area different than trusting God in another? And Sometimes we assume the negative of ourselves. I don't trust God for anything. And woe is me. But there's obviously some things in your life that you trust God and you see God at work and in provision. See God's provision. So we need to name that and be happy with that and give thanks to God for that. Then want you just to keep the card with you this week or next or however long you want. And just kind of pull it out. Think about it occasionally. Just think about it occasionally. And I'm going to leave you with these, with this, this kind of truth on both sides. Sometimes we can feel like the psalmist in chapter 28 of the book of Psalms. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to God. Sometimes we think that, right? Sometimes it just seems like it's very easy. My heart trusts God and I am helped. At other times, we feel like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't like this cup. I don't like this suffering. Take it away. And it's okay. We're told in the Bible that Jesus asked that question and felt that way, but it wasn't sinful. And my prayer for you is two things. One is our assurance of pardon. Behold, God is our salvation. Trust and do not be afraid. Friends, trust and do not be afraid. You have a community of people around you who will support you in this room. And then at Christmas, we sing a song. And it goes like this. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. My prayer is that the grace of God would come where you find thorns and he would cause a harvest of joy and trust in your life. Amen.